0: You're listening to CGSW 90.9 FM. Quiet on the set. Remember speed. Sound production, take
1: one.
0: Welcome, welcome, everyone, to Movie Night with Sif. I'm your host, Gabby, and guest hosting today, we have our artistic director, Brian Owens. Say hi, Brian. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Dave Nibone. Dave is an American television producer. Along with Eric Wareheim and Tim Heidecker, he founded and runs Absolutely Productions which produces a variety of comedic television shows and films. His role has been described as the business chief and straight man at Absolutely.
1: Nebone has worked as a producer on a variety of television shows, including Comedy Bang Bang, Nathan For You, Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job. He is also the producer of the feature film Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie and The Eric Andre Show, currently airing on Adult Swim Canada. Season 6 of The Eric Andre Show arrives later this year. Please welcome this prolific producer of film and television and my best friend from my days at Indiana University, Mr.
2: Hello, hello. It's great to be here with you.
0: Hi, Dave. Lovely to meet you. So glad that you joined us on the show. We were very excited to do this interview.
2: Ah, likewise, likewise. Uh, anything that Brian asks me, I feel like I can't say no to, to Brian. <laughs> so I'm here.
0: So let's talk about that because you're friends with Brian. How did you guys get to know each other? I know Brian said university. How does that all come about? How'd you two meet?
2: So it's funny because this morning as I was thinking about this, I, I did some rough math. I met Brian probably, he was one of the first people, truly, that I met as a college freshman walking around on campus, like my first week at Indiana University. I was just, I was new kid, new place, didn't know anyone. And I met Brian the first week of my freshman year in college, which something like 30 years ago, which if you can (laughs) believe it, this is, which is insane to me. Yeah. And I was wandering around and he was at an informational booth. the the, the first week of school like learn about all the things you can do in college and he was there and who's this freak i like him um (laughs) and we immediately yeah we immediately kind of hit it off and i think from truly from the first days of 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 college brian and i've been been friends
0: yeah what did you guys take what did you major in well
2: that was a circuitous path i was (laughs) i started out as an education major i think with a theater something like mm-hmm. i was gonna i was gonna be an actor as dad said i was gonna be an actor and then i took like my first theater class I was like nope this is <laughs> not for me we, i ended up being a comparative literature major because it was the only way i could get access to all the film gear at indiana university they didn't have a proper film program at the time i'm not sure if they do but at that time like i figured a workaround where i could get access to all the camera gear and all the classes i wanted if i was a, a comparative literature major uh, i don't know what you studied brian what were you what, what? Did you Uh, even go to classes? Yeah, yeah,
1: sometimes I went. No, I actually started out uh, (laughs) as an education major too. Dropped that, uh, ended up uh, English with film studies is the direction I ended up in. So after college, and I think as we were introducing you to Gabby, I I kind of joked that she's the intern that wouldn't leave. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened after Indiana University? I know that we went to Stanford for grad school and got an internship at McSweeney's. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Internship is kind of putting it... Maybe overstating the fact. So I, I had kicked around Indianapolis for a while, producing indie documentaries or whatever I could do there, and then went to graduate school, as we said. We moved to San Francisco after Stanford, like hopelessly unemployed and in debt and, you know, trying to figure out what to do. But like San Francisco in 2002 was a really bitchy place. And McSweeze had just moved west from Brooklyn, and they were just, their office was literally around the block from this apartment that I was living in. And I went and knocked on the door was like, what can I do to help out? If you're familiar with what he's doing, what they have done there, it, he he founded a nonprofit called 826 Valencia's Tutoring Center and a literacy uh, center in the Mission District in San Francisco at the time. And it was just an experiment. It was him and a few of his friends trying to put this thing together and then relaunch the publishing thing, get the quarterly going. And so I walked in and just volunteered. And it meant I was selling patch merch in the pirate store, which is all a fundraiser for the t- us tutoring. I was hosting field trips as an independent producer. I had worked a little bit with how to set up businesses and money and how to like do that stuff. And it came to them needing some, some basic support to get the publishing operation kind of humming with the quarterly and the magazines and all that kind of stuff. Like you said, I was the intern that just stuck around (laughs) and, and helped out, but it was an opportune bong because the guy who was at the desk when I went in there that first day was a guy named Eli Horowitz who was selling eye patches. And he had just come out of, like, Yale. Damn. He was the same fellow as me, and we were just howling around. We thought this place was attractive. What was happening there was cool. There's a lot of good creative energy. And he ended up very shortly thereafter being the managing editor. That's kind of, we were all just, like, there. Like, yeah, we can do this. And none of us know what we're doing, but, like, it was was a great place to just get your hands dirty making cool stuff, you know?
0: I think the more that I work in creative places, the more I realize that nobody really knows what it is that they're doing. So speaking of L.A., sh- you obviously went there shortly thereafter, McSweeney's. Yeah, that was about
2: four or five years later.
0: How does that end up happening? And then when you get there, like, did you meet Tim and Eric there? Then the company came about. How does that go? Uh,
2: well, I met a girl. Okay. Uh, who was on my wife. She had been in San Francisco, moved to New York, and then back to San Francisco. She was not thrilled with the weather, frankly. San Francisco. It was it's cool. And, uh, and she was like, we had visited L.A. She's like, well, let's move to L.A., and I thought, well, here's an opportunity for me to get into the business that I had always intended to be in. Like, my background was in television production and film. And that's what I had set my sights on. So I was like, well, okay, you know, my, my master's degree had been in film, and documentary film. And it's like, it's time to go put up or shut up. So let's move to LA where the weather's nice and see what I can do. Right about that same time, I was at my friend Trevor and Heidi's house, at the, my friend's house. And we were staying up late, smoking pot and playing video games. Nice. And somebody turned on a cartoon uh, called Tom Goes to the Mayor, which was Tim and Eric's first thing they had made. They would come out of film school and moved to, you know, they kicked, just like I had, they kicked around a little bit, got their act together, got an opportunity to make a cartoon for Adult Swim called Tom Goes to the Mayor. And I was living in San Francisco at the time, and they, my friend Trevor was like, you got to see this, it's crazy. And I felt, it felt as though someone had stuck an ice pick into my brainstem. Like, I re- immediately was like, like it was just, they were on something that I knew immediately in it in, in, like instinctively I had, i clicked click and I just wanted to be there with them, support them. Like, like with, like with McSweeney, it's like being around a community of creative people who I immediately was in sync with and wanted to do whatever I could to do that. So things lined up, the stars aligned. They, that show got canceled. They had an opportunity to create a, a live action sketch comedy show which I'd been live action producing television and documentaries and things for years at that point. Um, And so I had a little bit of a base of knowledge. So I came down, I flew down. I didn't tell them that I was in San Francisco. I didn't tell them I was not LA based. They didn't ask. And I was like, I'm here. I want this job. Let me help you produce this. They were looking for a supervising producer, like a big job on a new show. And so I was like, well, I let me do this job. I want to help you make this thing. I'm super dialed into what you guys are trying to do comedically." I I love, I love it. I want to support it. And they did not give me the job, which was probably a prudent thing. Cause I was not qualified at all, but we clicked like just like with Brian, just like with Eli and Dave Eggers, just like with Tim and Eric, like we, we, there was a harmony of sensibility. So they offered me another job on the show, a lower, a lower level job on the show. And because at this point we had moved down to LA in the intervening week or two and. I was unemployed. I was like a day away from trying to get a job at Starbucks. Like, and I'm not qualified. Like I don't have any other skills outside of like television. So, uh, and then Eric texted me over dinner and's like, do you want to do this other job? It was, it was like, he, he gave me the opportunity and I've been, that was the first gig I got. It was a week into living in LA and I've been with him ever since.
1: As we said in the intro, you're sort of known as, as the, the straight man, uh, at absolutely. Uh, do you find yourself like having to rein in some of the wacky folks that you work with or? No,
2: I mean, no, I think that it's a little bit of a misdirect because I don't, I'm an, I'm the, I'm an enabler is what I am. Like I (laughs) want them to be less, I want them to be as much of their thing as they can be. And that goes for tim and eric that goes for eric andre or whomever whoever we work with the reason that we get into business with people is not because they're safe you know not because they you remind me of jack benny like it's (laughs) i want them to be the most whatever that they can be and so while i'm the quote-unquote straight man of the group it's only because i know how to like hire lawyers and (laughs) you know and when to call them and how to how to talk with network executives and how that's the part of the circle that i feel like and i'm and like i i trust my gut i fought somebody's funny i'm like i don't know why you're funny i'm not a comedian but i trust my gut if i think it's funny there's 10 million other people just like me who are going to be like this is funny and i can't explain why so then i just trust that i'm like this should this should be out there and i and i do everything that i can to help i sell i you know we package shows we sell shows we
1: pitch we that that, that we negotiate Oh, uh, so yeah, this is from members of our staff at the Calgary International Film Festival. They're curious, okay. who who is the guy in the absolutely bumper that plays at the end of the show? Absolutely.
2: That's one of my favorite questions, and it's Tim's dad. Uh, oh, no way. It is. That clip absolutely comes from a home video that Tim took when he was a young guy on vacation as a teenager, I think of his father when they were wherever they were on vacation in Florida or something. And I don't remember the context of the clip, like, are you having a good time on vacation or something? And he took that and for, you know, that was just a, a, a funny clip that was <laughs> snagged and polished up and put a logo under it. And it's Tim dead, which is a funny thing. Like, you, you don't think about these things or, I mean, maybe Tim had some great scheme in his mind when he <laughs> first did that, but I, I don't know, but I have, has, I have said repeatedly over the last, you know, 15 plus years that that makes it more. I take great care because it's literally Tim's dad's face yeah. on the end of this show, and the show better not suck. Like, I, let's let's use care with putting our imprimatur on something because it matters to me. Uh, he's a good man. like
0: like, everything we do we do for tim's dad yeah i love that like
2: i don't want to he's a good man and i don't want his face besmirched by a shitty show (laughs) no
0: i know we touched on the sensibility of the show i think what sets this production company apart from more traditional production companies are the sort of like huge swings that you guys take on your unique form of comedy and like it's just it's just fun it's very individual now were there any shows that inspired that kind of voice and sensibility or was it shaped by the talent that you brought on
2: both i mean i think and i think that like as a group of people if there's not that there's a like a community of us but there's just a natural affinity you 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 see it i mean there's a natural creative affinity between people whether you're in our dramas or comedy or even some stand-up comedy versus sketch comedy people's inspirations link link us right we link together as people who work in a creative field based on the things that inspire us so you know there's no mistaking that more recently, i I put that in air quotes, like Mr. Show was a profoundly influential show for people who work in this business. And before that, like, you know, Kids in the Hall, Monty Python, like we were consuming those things and and maybe it hit a little harder with us than it did with our friends who are also watching. In the same way that like when you get those things that strike deeply at your creative center, Monty Python did that for me and it felt dangerous and irreverent silly and like stupid for its own sake and i thought all that was really just great (laughs) that was just great and so i think that a lot of people who we work with and have worked with and are inspired by have the same kind of north stars creatively you know wonder shows and was a really kick-ass show that that was inspirational to all of us and yeah and we're still not and not just to speak in the past tense there's still people doing things out there today that is just like how that's just
1: great so, as you know, one of my favorites, uh, is Nathan for You. For yes. anybody who's not familiar with it, it's the docu reality comedy series starring, uh, Nathan Fielder, uh, where he uses his business background and life experiences to take to struggling companies to help them if, That's not really an apt (laughs) description, but uh, it's the best I could come up with. Help in quotes. (laughs) Yeah, help. help. Let's put that in air quotes. But as you know, one of my favorite moments comes from the petting zoo episode. Back when I was living in Nashville, I remember sitting around a table on a Friday night with some friends, uh, having some drinks, and someone started passing around this video that they found on the internet, which was blowing up at the time, called (laughs) Hero (laughs) Pig (laughs) Rescues (laughs) Baby Goat. (laughs) It was only later that we found out what really happened so could you give yeah. us a little bit of that story Dave
2: yeah so Nathan uh, Fielder is uh he's a genius He's a very <laughs> very brilliant guy very funny and smartly surrounds himself with other people who are great Michael Coleman who was who was a writer on that for a long time and a number of other great collaborators this was early on I think this was I think this was season one and it was pretty early in season one Nathan had this idea to do a viral video and it was always kind of a like well Let's see if we can do this. And then these other things might unfold. I didn't know anything about Reddit at the time. Hmm. We had younger people on the staff who were like, oh, here's how you do it. And they were right. The research that we did was that cute or surprising animal videos go super viral. viral, They just like, oh my God, this cute dog or like whatever. We had concocted this idea that if a baby pig saves a goat, how cute is that? like how great it is. people are gonna love that but it's ridiculously complicated because pigs aren't naturally they don't want to get in the water goat they don't know these animals want to be in that pond we had the uh aspca out there we had trained animals out there we had safety divers and full like divers underneath the water like holding this thing in a plastic chute none of which you can see in the video it was insanely <laughs> complicated we and then all of that so that we can shoot it on a crappy phone camera because it had to look yeah. authentically on stage which is the most value i've ever put into a shoot so that it can be shot on somebody's flip phone like it wasn't it was crazy <laughs> and i kid you not like within 24 hours we had a million views or something like the crap. next day was like 15 million views and uh brian williams closed out the nbc nightly news by showing it as like the uplifting clip of the week oh my god and he even said like we can't verify the you know this clip because it was a bunch of idiots in an office in hollywood like (laughs) goofing around you know it was very inspirational for us to be like oh we can we can get we can pull off a lot here
0: it was a shame that this is probably before you could monetize videos on YouTube because I feel like you would have probably made your money back for oh sure. oh my on God,
2: that. I yeah, I think maybe at some point somebody went back on to click like monetize yeah. like way after the fact, like way too late for <laughs> it to be useful because it would have been it would have been huge
0: first of all, like having a super complicated like production behind this just to manufacture this real thing it seems like the most Nathan thing to ever. Happen that feels like very much kind of what he does for every show is like an overly complicated solution. But speaking of of Nathan, for you, I always wondered how much the participants knew about what was going on, because it is obviously like it's a TV show. Some a lot of it is satire. Did you ever have anybody like react negatively to what was going on? Anybody that, that, that didn't really get it?
2: I mean, sure. Yeah. But I mean, that's not unique to Nathan for you. Anytime you're in unscripted comedy, when you're dealing with real people in an environment where there's a joke being told, mm-hmm. there's a great deal of sensitivity. People are like, am I the butt of the joke? Are you laughing at me? Or are you laughing at the scenario? Can I laugh along with it? And part of the joy of that show was that the uncertainty, the tension of like, is this, what am I, God, what are these emotions that I'm feeling? Like? And being able to ride that line very, very carefully by a large, we got really good at giving everyone a soft land on that. We didn't. you don't want people walking away from your show feeling beaten up. Like that's no good. And I think that for the most part we did pretty well. That there were people who very early on in a bit were not interested <laughs> and did not find it funny and made it very clear that this is not funny and here's a lawsuit that comes with the territory too. We got a the sweetest lady, and I won't get into it for lots of reasons, but the sweetest lady who was a a, a book author was super sweet and she was not a fan of the approach or the tone of the show and so i felt bad she went away we'd never used it in the show like it never saw the light of day but i just felt that she went away thinking like we're a bunch of jerks and we're like we're not we think you're great (laughs) but most of the time it was all right
0: i think that's part of the risk you take when you make something that's so like kind of not done before something so like of its own, and I th- it was totally. I think it was totally worth it. I mean, like, every episode is so freaking funny. Yeah. Um, I tr- I showed it to my family over Christmas because they'd never seen it, and we watched that episode where there's the discount TVs and like the pit of snakes, and he's trying to like revive his tech shop to compete with Best Buy. Yeah, and, you know that. Yeah, I love it. You you have to have those those people to get the to get to the really funny stuff. For sure. Sort of looking ahead, the Eric Andre show back for season six.
2: Yes. Very awesome. exciting
0: stuff. How did that start? And did you really think this sort of like craziness would be going on today?
2: That's it. The, I, the second part of that question, I had no idea, but, but it started. Eric is again, Eric is a brilliant, very driven guy, smart, and he knows he understands comedy, his place in it. Like what can he do? The boundaries he's pushing all of it is extremely well. And so it looks chaotic, right? The show feels like an explosion happened in real time. But it is meticulously put together. And if people have a hard time believing that, but like we bought this, it started in that Eric and Kitao Sakurai and Andrew Barchelon in New York years ago now, uh, we were on that same time, 20, 2010, maybe earlier made a video demo of the Eric Andre show. Basically, like it was, it's essentially with season one episode one, it, it, that's what it looked like. And it's just chaos and and (laughs) punk rock as hell and cool and not fit for prime time. And then, and I don't know how Eric got it to Mike Lazo or how Mike Lazo got his hands on it, but Mike Lazo, who who until a couple years ago was the, the head of Adult Swim, created Adult Swim on the Cartoon Network, got his hands on it through some channel, through his team or whatever. And Mike Lazo called me up and he was like, have you seen this thing? I was like, yeah, I've seen it. I can't believe you've seen it. Like, like it's awesome. And he was like, I want to make this. And I'm so immediately I go into producer mode. I was like, Oh, well, okay. So we'll look at the sets and the thing, we'll castable we'll lighting. He's like, no, no, no. I want this. I want this thing shot for shot. I want this to be producible so that I could put it on television. And I was like, hell yeah, cool. Like he's not trying to dress it up. He didn't want it to be. Prettier or softer around the edges, like he wanted. And this to credit Mike Lazo like his instincts were good most of the time, really good. So we call Eric, and we're like, "Okay, let's do it." And we basically recreated that with a lot of extra things we could add. And the first season was just was shot in our little studio in Hollywood. It was done for a very small budget. We couldn't get any celebrities, so we had like George Clooney was played by like a, you know, I think he's was homeless, maybe like guy <laughs> who was around and. So we just did that, and that was what we had, and and then it just worked on a fundamental level. Like this kind of chaos appeals to people, and that kept going. And by season three or four, then it's like we got Jimmy Kimmel, like we got yeah, we got whoever We can um, because it has established itself as this kind of anti show show in a really cool way.
0: I think that's where um, being an enabler yeah. comes in really handy. Like you definitely oh, need yeah. somebody to come in and be like, I believe that you have a vision. And I trust it and I'm gonna yeah. let you go crazy and do what you
2: need. Let's go for this. Yeah, I'll I'll handle the the trouble on the back end. Let's just figure it out. Let's yeah, just yeah. do it. Exactly. And
1: um you know, more often than not, it's it's great. So I have a silly question. Like Eric season five, no hair. And then I just saw the, the Madonna concert announcement video and hair. Is there something going on that we don't know, or is like there's special powers attached to his hairline? <laughs> he's always every
2: season like he's interested in this kind of every season new eric different eric you know mm. like there was one season where i don't know if it translated exactly to scream but, like he didn't bathe or like trim his nails or like shower like for the whole time and it was funky like it was oh it was gross <laughs> but ben is like i'm gonna be i'm gonna be hairless and kind of shiny and that and you know it's just him kind of challenging himself as an artist to like to push like one season he looks like cat williams he had like was all you know kind of straight like it's a <laughs> it's a way that for him to seek inspiration and making it new every time he is committed dude the dude is committed to <laughs> to the craft uh, he's no joke
0: just out of interest do we have an eta on when we can expect to see season six
2: I've, yeah i yeah but i don't know i'm supposed to t- tell you guys yet oh okay but, okay, okay. We it could remain a mystery. We can keep it juicy <laughs> secret for too long. Um, <laughs> you won't have to wait long. Okay.
0: What are we gonna see? Are we going to see any more hijinks?
2: Oh my god! I can't even probably tell you what celebrities. All kinds of crazy, crazy celebrities on this season. A lot of favorites coming back. Fan mm-hmm. favorites coming back. Characters and bits coming back. That's yeah, exciting. It.
0: Yeah. It is now the time to ask you the question that every guest on Movie Night with Sif must answer. That question is usually, what is your most embarrassing festival story? However, Brian, I think, already has a story in mind.
1: And it's not really embarrassing, but I just wanted to flash back to 2011 when you were with Tim and Eric at Sundance with the Terrys. Uh, That was my first chance to meet the guys in person. And then comes to Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie uh, is next. And there was something about the way they watched us interact that sort of made its way into Billion Dollar Movie. Am I remembering that right? Oh, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's Sundance, so the memories
2: are a little foggy.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: no, it was. It was after that that when we went. That's so funny. Like, uh, <laughs> when we were there with the Terrys, it was a short that we had done. It was our first time at Sundance, so we were all stoked and like it was very excited, like for us to be there. And Brian was there, and we had tied one on. I think the night before, I had at least I was living large. And the next morning, Tim and Eric and our other producer friend John Mugar were going sledding or tubing or something. They're like, Evo, come on, what's gonna go? Mm-hmm. And I was in my room and I was all hung over. I was like, No, 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 I gotta hang out with my boy uh Brian and <laughs> Mugar they immediately lashed out, my boy, my boy, because they make fun of it every once in a while I sound like <laughs> the end, where I am, especially when I'm hung over. Like, my boy, I got to that boy. And so From then on, that became a bit of a repeated thing. And if you watch when they refer to, who's that boy? That was inspired by me being hungover and talking about Brian Owens at Sunday.
0: (laughs) Oh my God.
2: Yeah. Wow. He's my boy.
0: Your claim to fame, Brian. You know what? I'll put that in probably like our top three embarrassing festival stories. We love that. We stand that. Let's give a hand for Dave. Thank you for sharing your story with us. He's a
2: good boy.
1: So the first game is Eric Andre show or no show. We'll name a celebrity oh, no. and you'll tell us whether they've actually appeared on the Eric Andre show or not. Oh, I'm going to do bad at this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Your first celebrity is Lavar Burton. Oh, he's on the show. Yeah.
0: Nice. Ding, ding, ding.
1: This will be an easy one. George Clooney. Not on the show. We try. <laughs> In spirit. Uh, Rosario Dawson. Oh, on the show.
0: Point for Dave.
1: Did we get that right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sinbad. Oh, he's but he was on the show. Yeah. And finally, I was stoked. Haley Joel Osment. Oh, he was on the show.
0: Dave, you killed it. One hundred percent.
1: He's a good dude. He'll.
2: He's. Uh, he's down to get weird. I like that. <laughs> you
0: absolutely killed that. Oh my gosh. And this other game is actually a recurring game which we've played with other guests on the like of the show. It's a recurring game okay. called Why Are You Booing Me? I'm Right. <laughs> in this game, our guests give us their hot takes regarding film, television, in your case maybe comedy. What's a hot take? What's something that you're like, you know, I know if I say this people are going to boo me, but you know what? I'm right.
2: I think Martin Scorsese has been phoning it in for about 40 years.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
2: I, I know, and it's not a popular one, and I'm happy to be people to shout me down about it because I know, like, he's a, he's a great director, and I think give him his due. But like, every time he puts too much sauce on it, man, I think he's, he tries, <laughs> doesn't have to try so hard in a way that I feel like. Look, I respect him. By the way, he doesn't give a shit
0: that <laughs> I don't like him. But that's
2: my that's my hot take. I'll have Can't you know, I said it
0: Mr. Scorsese is a. Big fan of the show. So, Mr. Krasazi, I know you're listening. Lighten up on the sauce. Lighten up on the sauce. <laughs> it's time for One Star Reviews, the game where I will give you a bad review, a one star review, and you have to tell me what the movie is that the review is talking about. I'm going to read you What's a bad gonna review, okay. and you're going to try to guess what movie they're referring to.
1: And the inspiration is. We met in college, so these are all movies about college.
0: My dad will never forgive me for this take. Sorry to Belushi-loving dads everywhere, but I thought this was just okay.
2: Oh, gotta be Animal House.
0: It's Animal House. Very good. Oh, I
2: love the Animal House, animal house is- <laughs>
0: I, I think don't that know. Would, I, I
2: haven't seen in a while. I'm not sure it holds up, but we'll see.
0: I think that would classify you as a Belushi-loving dad who is being let down by this take.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Zach Efron and Dave Franco were actually robbed of the most beautiful love story in cinematic history. I think.
2: Oh, what I don't remember the name of this movie. I remember the movie. What's it? Oh shit! I don't know. I give up. I don't know what it's called. It's
0: neighbors.
1: neighbors. I love
2: you, man. Neighbors.
0: Neighbors. Ooh, your first flop. It's okay, it's okay. We can yeah, recover. We have one okay. last one for you. This film really taught kids that college isn't for everyone. What a weirdly specific but reassuring life message to put inside a Disney movie about a bowling ball with one eye.
1: Is it Big Hero 6?
0: Ooh, do you want to take another guess?
1: No, uh, Voice by Billy Crystal.
0: Disney movie.
2: Oh, oh. Okay, thanks for the hint. I got it. Monsters, <laughs> You. Yeah.
0: yes it is you know what that wasn't yeah. that much of a giveaway you totally got it I'll give you that, that was, uh, yeah
2: the Billy Crystal thing the one eye the Billy Crystal thing. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that I'm terrible
0: well you did really well in the games actually you only had one real flaw <laughs> we gave you all the other points that was so much fun thank you so much for chatting with us you can check out the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim soon or stream it on Stack TV here in Canada if you're in the US you can stream it on Hulu or Disney Plus thank you so much Dave
1: Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Dave. It's good to see you again. Likewise, buddy.
2: Okay, that's a
0: wrap.